Hey, we've been talking this, uh, this month about um, not being canceled. And, and if you're just joining us, we're not talking about some political speech or going out and protesting something. But living life with enough grace in you that you can't be canceled no matter what. It's hard to cancel grace in somebody's life, isn't it? And so uh, we've been looking through the book of Daniel. We all know our culture is not becoming more godly. Our culture is, um, is moving headlong away from God. And, and sometimes you wake up and you turn on the news and you don't recognize it. So how to live a life of grace and to live a life that testifies of God's goodness in the midst of that when you don't recognize maybe even the culture you grew up in. And so um, the book of Daniel is a great handbook for how to do that. Daniel was exiled from, from his homeland, Jerusalem, after, after Babylon laid siege to Jerusalem and took it over. And it is a textbook path to, to how to live a God-honoring life in a culture that you don't, you don't know anymore. So we're going to look into that again today. Ironically, we're not going to talk about Daniel today. He's not in the story. We're going to look in the book of Daniel chapter three, but it's his three three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, who are going to be the the stars of this story, I guess. And so we're going to read from Daniel chapter three. We're starting verse 13. I'm not going to read the whole story because it's pretty long. We're going to jump right into the middle of the story and then I'll fill it then I'll fill it in afterwards. So why don't you stand to your feet in honor of the word. And you can find this on, if you brought a paper Bible with you, you can see it on the screen. You can also find it on the Bible app. And if you go to events on the Bible app, you can get the notes. And I think the notes are also on our website. So why don't you say amen if you're ready. Daniel chapter three, verse 13. The Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good, But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is a God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, offered the, he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their outer other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. 
Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps, prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed and their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angels and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Their house is laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We got together this morning, Lord, to be in your presence and have your word change us. You said you renew our minds, you change the way we think. We pray that that would happen today. And when you change the way we think, Lord, we pray that we change what we do, change how we respond to the people around us. We change, we pray that it would change how we respond to our culture. We pray that it put more faith in us to trust you. We thank you for this moment. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. If you were here last week or maybe, maybe you watched it online, I warned you at the end of last Sunday not to believe Nebuchadnezzar had some conversion experience. At the end of that story last week, we know that Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that he couldn't remember and it was troubling him. And, and he would put out a decree. He was going to kill every, kill all the, the magicians and, and all the people that were supposed to be able to interpret dreams. So Daniel requests presence with the king and God gives him not only the interpretation of a dream, but he gives him what the dream was. The Nebuchadnezzar couldn't remember. So Daniel goes in, tells him what the dream was. And then he says, this is what it means. And he talks about these four kingdoms, starting with Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And actually Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know at the time, but it ends with the kingdom of Christ, with the, with the heavenly kingdom that will never end. So the, the ending scene of the last story was Nebuchadnezzar bowing prostrate down in front of Daniel, declaring, declaring Daniel's God, the the God of gods. And I warned you last week, don't think that Nebuchadnezzar had some, had some like transformational experience. And now all of a sudden he became a believer in the one true God, because that's not what happened. It was like he took Daniel's God and added him 
to the uh, beef stew of gods. Just a whole bunch of stuff in there. Well, you start chapter three and you realize that the interpretation of that dream caught Nebuchadnezzar off guard a little bit. And I think what you see in chapter three is him trying to solidify his reign, his rule. Because what he became acutely aware of in the previous chapter was that he was not going to be on the throne forever. He was not a, he's not God. And so his, his reign would be limited and it wouldn't even be that long. And so what does that, what does any dictator do that gets dealt with the reality that their, their, their rule won't be that long? Well, you create an image for everybody to bow down and worship. And that's not that crazy. So the beginning of chapter three, what you find out is Nebuchadnezzar responding to the dream interpretation must get the idea that, Hey, I gotta, I gotta get some loyalty going around here. So the best way to do this, let's create an image. If you go to the beginning of chapter three, you'll find out the image was 90 feet tall, about nine stories tall, about nine feet wide. It was this tall, really skinny image. Scholars aren't convinced that it was Nebuchadnezzar. And they're not convinced that it was necessarily a deity, uh, an, an image made in the, in the form of a deity, but it was something he constructed to have people bow down and worship that ultimately would, would indicate their loyalty to him as well. Shoring up the base. Now, historians believe it was plated in gold, a 90 foot image solid gold, nine foot wide. There probably wasn't enough gold in all of Babylon to create something like that. So, so they, they plated the thing gold. Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get the band together. We're going to have a festival. We're going to make it fun. We're going to get all the, we're going to bring the band out. And when the band starts playing, everybody bow down to this image that I've created. And that way I'll know that they're for me. Now it's curious that Daniel's not mentioned in any of this conversation. We know that Daniel was promoted uh, in chapter two, so so it's possible that Daniel was was off on a on a business trip. It's possible he wasn't in the vicinity of all this that was happening. They weren't live streaming it. We know that. So so Daniel's not mentioned. But what you have is you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three cohorts that are caught up in this thing because they were promoted as well. So how how many of you know that when you get a promotion, you get more eyes on you, not less? When you get a promotion, more people are watching you. So it kind of goes with the territory, right? If If you get promoted, there's more pressure. I figured out a long time ago, if you want the promotion, don't complain about the pressure. It's kind of pointless. It goes with it. So all of a sudden, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are caught up in this deal where it's the band's going to play and they've got to bow down. So the band starts playing and they don't bow down. Well, the problem is there's people watching. And some snitch. I have a friend that says snitches get stitches. I don't know if that's true or not. It's just a saying. A snitch runs to Nebuchadnezzar and says, listen, those three Jewish exiles, remember those guys that you promoted? Yeah. 
they're not bowing down. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the case that Daniel or that the Nebuchadnezzar gives them a second chance, which means he did hold them in high value. He says, hey, bring them into me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bring them into me. And, and the king himself ends up having a conversation with them. He says, hey guys, listen, maybe you didn't realize what was going on. Maybe, maybe you didn't realize when the music started playing, you were supposed to prostrate yourself before this image I put up. You know, we spent a lot of money on this. This was a, this was a big project. You saw it being erected. You saw us plate in gold. You saw us do the whole thing. You knew, you, you kind of knew that we put the decree out. So I'm going to, I'm going to go off on a limb and say you, that you just, you know, you were, you were busy working or something, but I'm going to give you a shot now because I care about you. I'm going to give you a shot now. Why don't, why don't we have the band play again? We'll call it an encore. We'll have them play again. And when they play this time, the three of you bow down and we'll be done. Cause after all, I can't have you in leadership here, you know, in the pagan Babylon, I can't have you in leadership if you're not going to bow down like everybody else. And, uh, Three guys say, hey, listen, um, we're not trying to start anything here. But we do have to tell you that we're probably not going to bow down. Now, they knew the consequences. And they address them. They say, hey, king, if, if you have to throw us into the fire, we believe our God will deliver us. And... And, and they go on to say, in verse 18, I think it is, even if he doesn't, and that's going to be key in today's, the rest of today's talk, even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. So, so the writer of Daniel specifically marks a change in Nebuchadnezzar's attitude. It said his face changed. Now, you know when a dictator's face changes, it's bad. He becomes immensely angry with the guys that he was trying to give another shot. He becomes unbelievably filled with rage. And he orders that this furnace be heated to max capacity. The writer of Daniel said seven times hotter. That's kind of hyperbole. The maximum capacity that this furnace could heat up to. Now, just so you get a mind's eye of how this probably would have looked, the furnace was probably... Probably something that they dropped things in from the top and there was probably like a kind of a doorway on the bottom that you could see in. So this isn't, this isn't like your wood stove at the house. This is, um, this is going to be made of, uh, of bricks or something like that. And it, and you would, they were, they threw them in the top bound up. He says, you heat it up hotter than we've ever had it before. And then bind them up. So we know, listen, we know, we know the three guys were dressed up for the festival. Because it said in their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and their other garments. They just left them in the costumes. Wrapped them all up. It said they bound them. And then they tossed them into the top of this thing. And it was so hot that the guys that were throwing them in ended up dying. I'm going to go out on a limb and say we're not roasting marshmallows. On, on that fire, not going to happen. So they, they toss them in. There's no screams. The Bible doesn't record any resistance from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It doesn't record them 
cussing. It doesn't record them calling Nebuchadnezzar names. It doesn't record them really resisting at all. It just records them being bound up in the clothes that they were in and being tossed in the fire. Now you would think the response would be from Nebuchadnezzar, let this be a, let this be recorded today. Nobody messes with me. If I tell you to bow down, you bow down. If I tell you to go right, you go right. If I tell you to go left, you go left. You, you, all you people, you start recording right there today. If I put an image up that you're supposed to worship, you'll worship it. Or I'll, I'll make the fire so hot I'll kill all of you. Only that's not what happened. The Bible says that very quickly Nebuchadnezzar has this view into the furnace from the, from the bottom. He's looking in through the door. And he sees... The guys that had been bound and tossed in. By the way, the, the odds of them landing on their feet were pretty low. They weren't throwing cats into the fire, which I'm not opposed to. Can you imagine tossing these three guys into the fire? Now for Nebuchadnezzar, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, could you imagine standing in front of the king and going, hey, listen, we believe God's going to be faithful, and even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down, and going through the, the massive amount of fear, getting wrapped up and then tossed into this thing only to land, and then realize this doesn't hurt. I'm not bound anymore. And I'm not dying. That would be insane. Now, now the issue is, it's having the exact opposite effect on Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is looking through the door and going, it says in haste, he's calling, hey, we threw three guys in there, right? Yes, O king, threw three guys in there. You, You tied them up, right? Yeah. Matter of fact, Billy's the one threw him up in there and he's dead too. He was this close to retiring. I see three guys standing up and then I see a fourth guy. Now remember I told you he didn't have a conversion experience in the story before. He says he looks, he doesn't say he looks like the son of God. He says he looks like a son of the gods. He says, I see a fourth guy I don't recognize. Here's the crazy part. As soon as I figured out that I wasn't on fire, I would have run out of the furnace. But for some reason, the biblical account is the king has to call him out. Like they had to get permission to leave the furnace. So the king seeing now in unbelief, looking into the furnace that is raging, sees Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing up, unfettered, with, with a godlike person beside them. He calls them out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of the furnace. They come walking out. I wish I was there to hear the first words like, we don't know what happened. But how about we agree not to try that again? (laughs) 
all the officials gathered around them and they started scientifically inspecting them. They realized that none of their clothes were burnt. They realized that their hair was not singed, that the hair on their arms was not singed, that there was no physical indication that they had been anywhere near any heat whatsoever, and yet they had seen guys die throwing them in. They look at the king, and the king says, okay, your God is it. And then just like a dictator, (laughs) I actually love the end of this, because the Nebuchadnezzar's response to God, the God of all gods, doing a miracle and delivering Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is this. This is his response. Anybody that makes fun of their God, we're going to kill them. That's how we work in Babylon. We realize that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God can deliver from anything. So the result of this is a mandated allegiance to Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego's God. And if you don't, we will rip you limb from limb. Now let's have church. <laughs> Let that be a case for don't, don't try to play church. Because you might end up hurting people. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar didn't have a real relationship with God. He was just noticing that the God of all gods was immensely more capable and powerful than anything he had ever experienced in pagan worship. And his response to it was not good. We, um, we've been talking the last month, our, our culture is not turning towards God. It's, it's rapidly turning away from God. And I listen to a lot of news and read a lot and, and, and you can just see the decline over and over things. We, things that as a culture, we didn't accept things that as a culture, it's all, it's all, it's all happening around us. And trying to get our footing as people who hopefully read the Bible and try to apply it to our lives, how we're supposed to respond to this and how culturally our America's typically responded to things. And how does that weigh out with our first amendment right and our freedoms and, and, and all of those things? How do, how do we as a Christian figure out where to land in, in, in this ever changing world we live in? I've told you before, I think Daniel is a roadmap for that in the way they respond to persecution, the way they respond to, to threats. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are no exception. They, um, they're threatened here with their life. They have a decision to make. And, uh, and they, they pick faith in God over anything else. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things in the next five to seven minutes that, that may go against what you believe, and that's fine. Um, there's a whole bunch of churches around here that you'll fit right in. <laughs> I, I, I'm not setting out to offend you. I want you to think about things. I think the worst thing a Christian could do is stop thinking. I think, I think when we stop thinking... We become, we can be influenced by anything. The Bible implores us to look into the word of God through the Holy Spirit, apply it to our lives, which causes us to have to think about what we're applying. Amen. Amen. So there's a couple of life principles that I tried to employ 
that, that, that keep me sane and not frustrated all the time. And one of them is to never say this. And if you said this, I'm not, I'm not faulting you for it. I'm just saying, uh, maybe you could join my side and never say it again. How many of you heard the, the thing, um, the best is yet to come? You ever heard that statement, the best is yet to come? The best is yet to come. And what we'll do is we'll get into a, um, a bad circumstance and, and we'll be like, hey, listen, man, the best is yet to come. I'm 45 years old and I've, I'm in pretty decent health, uh, but I've got some, maybe you could call it a couple structural issues uh, with my spine and things. But so I'm trying to work out and defeat the, you know, defeat the uh, old man time and all that stuff. So I was talking to some people that were, that were a good bit older than me, and, and they were working through some health issues. And I said, um, I said, man, hey, getting old ain't for sissies, is it? Yeah, it's not for sissies. What I'm starting to realize is my physical condition may not get better. Anybody else? Anybody else on that boat where, where, where you're like, you're starting to get to the age where you're, where you're going, hey, you know what? This might just be... Yep, this is going to hurt for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and then, and then um, you get out with a bunch of teenagers and you forget. And then you, then you remember the next morning. Or you get out with some young guys you are starting to work and, and you're going, I can keep up with them. Yeah, keep up with them. I don't need to drink any water. They're not drinking. I don't need, I don't need to take a break. The next morning you wake up and you don't want to hang out with them for like a month because if you do, they're going to tell. The reason I don't use the term the best is yet to come because it is always based on circumstances improving. It's always based on circumstances improving. When I, when I say, hey, the best is yet to come. What goes through most of our minds is I'm going to, my, my job is going to get easier. My relationships are going to get easier. I'm going to get more money. I'm going to get a better house. I'm going to get, my kids are going to listen and, and my, and my wife's going to love everything I say and do. And, and it's just going to, at some point in time, maybe in the very near future, the bit, the best is still coming. That means my life is just going to be, it's going to be so good. Everybody's going to want to be like me. I've lived long enough to know there's no part of that that's true. Chapter 2, Daniel, God proves himself immensely faithful to Daniel, gives him the dream and the interpretation in the middle of the night. Daniel goes in front of Nebuchadnezzar, says the whole thing. Daniel and his boys get a promotion. The, the king is prostrating himself before Daniel. And in a blink of an eye, if, what, if the best is yet to come, it didn't prove in Daniel's case. Because in a blink of an eye, it doesn't seem like it takes very long at all. Shadrach, Meshach, I bet you they were like, hey, where's Daniel now? My man went on a business trip. We're getting tossed into the furnace. They're tying him up, throwing him into the furnace. They weren't going into the furnace going, the best is yet to come. Now, if you're not careful, how many of you like the old Southern gospel preaching? Anybody like that here? You're not going to hurt my feelings. Anybody? You're like, we're like, ha! Okay. Listen, I've heard this sermon preached so many times, and, and it goes like this. 
When you get into the fire, there's going to be a fourth one there and he's going to pull you out. Yeah. You ever heard a preach like that? That every time you get in trouble, God's going to pull you out. Don't you worry. Walk into the fire. Pull you out. Yeah. How many of you have ever been in the fire and you couldn't sense God's presence? How many of you have ever been in the fire and you looked around and it didn't seem like there was a fourth guy with you? And your friends are saying, the best is yet to come. And you're like, say that one more time. You're going to be lisping through missing teeth. The best is yet to come. I'm going to punch you right in the mouth because my life is not getting better. I'm trusting God more than I've ever trusted in my, my life. And it's not improving. The problem is you trusting God doesn't mean you can control everybody else. Trust me. I've raised kids. I've been married a quarter of a century. In all of your effort, you can't control anyone else. So if the best is yet to come, that means you would have to exert some type of control over your circumstances. And that's really, really difficult. And when we try to exert that much control, we kind of start looking like a dictator, don't we? We become more like Nebuchadnezzar than we do Jesus. So, so I, what I realized was my last fight, my last victory wasn't my last fight. Just because Daniel interpreted the dream didn't mean they got a free pass to the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Just because Daniel was right in that moment, just because, just because Daniel won in that moment didn't mean they'd ever... They'd never be accused of anything in the next moment. It's called you're living in a pagan culture. In my life, I'm not a pessimist. My wife, I'm not a pessimist at all. I believe to get up, work hard, make it happen, improve every day. But I can only control me. I can't control any of the circumstances that are happening around me. I can't wave a magic wand and make everybody do what I want to do. So the likelihood that I'm going to face more hard times in a culture that's moving away from God, not towards him, is pretty high. Amen? This is not a pessimistic sermon. This is a realistic sermon. Because what happens is we set ourselves up for spiritual crisis all the time. Because we say, if we go to church, give a little bit of money and say our prayers at night and we, you know, and I stop cussing people to DMV, then, then God is just going to be like, yeah, woo, you're the best life, best life, best life. That's prosperity gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not the true gospel. The true gospel says in the midst of all of that, God will give us peace. The real gospel says in the midst of all that, God will give us peace. John chapter 16, verse 33. I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. Okay. Just pause it right there. If you go all the way back to John chapter 15, he's writing about, I'm the vine. Jesus is saying, I'm the vine. You're the branch. As long as you stay connected to me, you'll produce. As soon as you don't, aren't connected to me, you won't produce anything. So he transitions from, I'm the vine. I'm your source of everything. If you stay connected to me, you can't go off track. You can't get dismayed. You, you will make it. If you stay connected to me, there'll be enough source for you to get through this whole thing. And then he starts talking about, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And he gets to John chapter 16, verse 33. And he says, he kind of wraps it up. I've said all these things to you 
so that you will have peace. Because your best life now. Because the best is yet to come. So you can lay back and have peace because the best is yet to come. Woo-hoo. Nope. I've said all these things to you so that you can have peace. Because, read that after that period. Together with me, everybody happy, smiley, faith-filled face. In this world, you will have. Well, that feels warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? Why don't you go home and tell your three-year-old, it's going to get worse. But mommy loves you. It's going to get worse. Paul writes this same thing and he tells the church, bring all your cares, all your, all your petitions. Don't have anxiety. Don't, don't have anxiety. Bring all your petitions to Jesus because he cares for us. And he says this, if you will come to him with thanksgiving and bring all your cares to him and you will pray and seek him, then he says this, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. He says, don't believe in this foolishness of everything just gets better and better and better. He said, because I've, Jesus already told you that you're going to have tribulation. And we have lived in this microcosm in the United States where we don't experience physical suffering for the gospel. But in about 75% of the world, people do. So we start saying best life now and the best is yet to come and I'm doing my, I'm, I'm living my best life now because we don't know what it's really like to have to make a choice. But I'm telling you the day's coming. We can see our culture evolving into more ungodliness, more ungodliness, more ungodliness, more ungodliness, where the church is one day going to have to go, hey, you know what? I can't do that. Now, I need to stop here because we need to have a conversation about how we do that. And we've been, this has been a theme through this whole thing. Do you realize Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not go up to the king and go, hey, man, I got 50 guys outside. And if you want to fight, we'll fight. It was useless. They didn't go out screaming and cussing at him. They didn't go out telling him, you know what? God's going to get you for this. You're going to hell. They were very gracious during the whole thing. I started, I told the staff a couple weeks ago, I said, you know how you tell the difference between a thief and a savior? What they say on the cross. Let that sink in a second. The way you tell the difference between a thief and a savior is what they say on the Christ cross because both of them are suffering persecution, but what's coming out of their mouth is totally different. You had, you had two criminals on the cross with Christ. One of them says, Hey, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus says, yeah, today you'll be with me in paradise. The other thief is spewing out hatred. Go back and read it. The other thief is spewing out hatred, vile things. What's Jesus doing? Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. 
They're doing what the culture tells them doing. They're doing what everybody else told them was right. They, they're just following orders. They don't know. They don't get it. They don't understand what's happening. They're not, they're, they're, they're not they're like your neighbor is not the architect of the whole thing. The person that you work with is not the architect of the whole thing. The person that, that, that your family member that you wake up beside sometimes is not the devil incarnate. So what happens is that if we don't, if we don't have grace towards them, we become more Nebuchadnezzar than Jesus. So Jesus goes to the cross, makes no defense for himself, makes no ruckus, doesn't, doesn't say anything vile, hangs on the cross, bows it, forgive him. Just forgive him, Lord. The problem with the American church is we've been taught to fight people not devils. And the people aren't the fight. So we see in a pagan culture in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar is, is the guy. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't fight him. Here's the crux of it. My prayer is that everybody in this building has an either way faith. Either way faith. Look at your neighbor and say, we need an either way faith. That's not wishy-washy. That's not a wishy-washy faith. Don't, 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 don't make a mistake. I've heard some word of faith preachers say stuff like, well, if you don't, if you don't just say in Jesus name, that it's not real. They didn't do that. They were faced with the reality of being thrown into a fiery furnace. You know what the odds are of them coming out of that? Less than zero. So they make this comment. They say this. O King Nebuchadnezzar, we are not going to bow down. They're not screaming, they're not yelling. We're not going to bow down to your idol. We believe our God will deliver us. That's what we believe. Then verse 18. I don't know if you've got that. Verse 18. Very simply, they start out. But if he doesn't, either way, either way, whether, I, whether the best is yet to come or it isn't, whether, whether there's prosperity in my future or there's not, whether I'm going to live till 90 or 60, whether, whether I get sick or I don't get sick, whether my kids listen or don't listen, whether marriage works out or not, whether all this, whether or not, either way, you see what they say? But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. And if the church could have an either way faith, I'm telling you the last thing I want to do is set myself up for failure. God, you are faithful if I live or if I die. God, you're faithful if I get rich or I don't get rich. God, you're faithful if, if my neighbor likes me or they don't like me. God, you're faithful if I get the promotion or I don't get the promotion. God, you're faithful if I... You're faithful. You're faithful. And his faithfulness ends up being less about my circumstance and more about who he is. Because at the end of the day, God promised us more than this. So, so if you want to say the best is yet to come and you're talking about eternity, I'll get on that. I'll get on that ride with you. I'll get on that ride with you. Paul tells us 
to take that, to take that trip. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 13, the band's going to come up. I'm a, I'm a leave you with this. I read this in a lot of funerals. We'll go to the graveside and, and I want to make sure I want to make sure the last thing the family hears is that grief is real and there's no escaping it, but grief is it the same for everybody. You realize as a believer in Jesus, who we believe is faithful beyond our current circumstances, grief doesn't happen like it does with people with no hope. Amen? Amen? So Paul writes this, his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. He says this, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So what is Paul saying? Paul's not going, hey man, they died. Best is yet to come. Hey man, this was terrible. Best is yet to come. Come on, put on your happy funeral face. Get your funeral selfie out. He's not saying that. He's saying there will be circumstances in your life that are not ideal. There'll be circumstances in your life that are going to feel like they're getting the rug ripped out from under you. There are going to be circumstances in your life that you will never, no matter how much energy you put out to change them, will not change. Like death. It's going to happen. What Paul says is, when you bump up against those circumstances, it does not mean that God's not faithful. It doesn't mean... It means that in the midst of them, you can trust God because he's still faithful. So he says, you will not be able to escape grief. It's coming. It's part of life. There's some things that just saying the best yet is not going to fix it. Acting like it's not, there's not going to fix it. He's saying some things we got to walk through. And Paul was the, was the master at contextualizing suffering in his life. He had got to the place one time in Asia where he said, we had the, we thought we had the penalty of death on us and we had all but resigned that that was going to be what was going to happen. And we were okay with it. Then he's writing to the church and saying, listen, while, while people of God will walk through difficult circumstances and be in cultures they don't understand and, and maybe be persecuted and, and maybe the schools teach you stuff you don't like and maybe you feel like, man, I don't, I don't think anything about like my neighbors. Listen, our hope is future oriented. Amen? Our hope is future oriented. So he goes on to say, for this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. The only way we should be saying the best is yet to come is when we put it in the context of he is coming back to get us. Amen. That he has not forsaken us, that he has not left us, that he has not just 
put us off, but He has planned for you and me to be with Him for eternity. And that is the best you could possibly ever experience. So the next time that something bad happens, the next time that you don't understand, the next time it feels like politics is going to rip you apart, realize that the God of all the universe is just as faithful as He was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 500 years ago. He's just as faithful today to keep His promise about your future. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet and give Him praise this morning? He is faithful to you. He is faithful, faithful, faithful.